Hi, my name is Nathan Howard. Welcome back to Word for Word. We are uh, picking up here on the last portion of this mini-series called Context versus Connotation. Last week we went over Jeremiah 29.11, and this week we'll be go we will be going over our final verse, Philippians 4.13. Sported on athletes' jerseys, bumper stickers, tattoos, and a common verse of the year for many, Philippians 4.13 has become one of the Western Church's favorite verses, and sadly, often not for the reason that it really should be. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This verse has been understood to mean that God enables or empowers believers to accomplish whatever it is they are wanting to accomplish and to combat any trial, disappointment, or tragedy in their life. Now, on the surface, this sounds good. It could even sound biblical to some. But this is not at all what this verse is actually expressing. When we look to the context of the local passage, as well as the Greek words used in the original text, we will begin to see the exact opposite message expressed in this verse. Now, the, the version that I just read to you, the translation, was the New King James Version. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the reason I picked that one is because it's more, most often the translation that is quoted. And so since this miniseries is talking, you know, we're briefly going over these popular, common, quipped, misquoted verses, I like to start off with uh, the translation and versions that are often, uh, that they are quoted in. Um, so we're going to actually read through the, uh, the surrounding passage of Philippians 4.13, which is what we've been doing for every verse that we go through, and it's what every believer should do whenever they're, uh, when someone quotes a verse to them and they don't understand what it means, or whenever you're reading a verse for the first time, you should look to the context um, of, of the passage that that verse is placed in so that we can actually have a proper understanding uh, to how this verse is being applied and how it ought to be understood and applied in the believer's life. So I'm going to go ahead and read Philippians 4. Verses 10 through 14. And this is Paul writing a letter to the church of Philippi. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. So we're going to just go through some of the key points from this whole passage to kind of break it down a little bit. First of all, we see that, like I mentioned, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. Now, where was Paul when he was writing this letter? Among others, he was actually in prison. We see right off the bat in the first uh, verse we read in verse 10 that Paul 
is thankful for the church that he's writing to, sending financial and material provisions to him. And we can further understand that by reading further into chapter 4. It talks about how Paul has received the gifts that they had sent to him uh, by the messenger Epaphroditus. Um, Another key point here, Paul is not complaining of being in need, but in fact is expressing contentment. Paul is stating he's learned how to be poor, how to be wealthy, how to go hungry, how to have plenty. Paul stating he can endure and persevere through hunger and poverty because he knows that God gives him the strength and empowerment to do so. Now, we also need to to have a proper understanding, or even I should just say a more rich and full appreciation for what Paul is saying here. We need to be able to know and have an understanding of Paul's background, his context as a person. From reading other portions of scripture, we see that Paul was in fact a very pious Pharisee. He called himself a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. As in, he was the best of the best, the righteous of the righteous. He was a religious elite of the time. That's what a Pharisee was. He was the ruling class in religious government of the people of Israel. And he was most likely very wealthy, as most of the Pharisees and religious elite were. However, Paul's life changed greatly after he was converted, after he came to have faith in Jesus. After Paul's conversion, Paul had to flee from cities in order not to be arrested. He was stoned and left for dead. He was imprisoned multiple times. He was shipwrecked. And eventually he was beheaded. Now we know that Paul, even though all these terrible things happened to Paul, We also know that Paul helped establish the church across nations. We have accounts that he healed the sick, cast out demons, and preached the gospel to all peoples. We also know that this chosen apostle of God, Paul was dealt pain, suffering, hunger, poverty, and eventually death by execution. Through all Paul's suffering, he learned a most valuable lesson that seemingly only tribulation can teach us, and that is contentment. Paul was writing from prison, rejoicing greatly in the Lord and refusing to complain about his circumstance. Philippians 4.13 is really an explanation of how Paul can find contentment in the hardest of trials and afflictions. It is because God is the provider of Paul's strength for all moments in which Paul cannot accomplish that which he wants to, nor defeat or overcome the trials and tragedies that afflict him. God empowers Paul to persevere, to endure these afflictions, And God even grants him peace and joy throughout. This is the true message of this passage. 
Now, one other thing, other thing I'd like to take a look at here is the Greek, the original wordage in the text. And if you're listening to this uh, as a podcast, um, I would recommend feel free to go to YouTube and um, listen to it there, or I should say watch it there with the video as well. And I'm going to put up this um, Greek um it's a screen grab from Bible Hub looking at the Strong's Dictionary for uh, the wording in this passage. Um, it's a good visual to kind of take a look at, or I just recommend you look it up yourself and maybe follow along once you have it pulled up with what I'm explaining here. So if I, if I just read through here, I'm going to go through each one of these um, in, uh, for Philippians 4.13. So it starts off with, I can do all things, right? Now, I can do where we get that in English, that actually comes from a Greek word that can mean a couple things. It can mean to have strength, be strong, in full health, to be able, prevail. So these all take, um, you know, slightly different meanings, but generally the message is still the same. If we look at the, uh, the Greek word for all things, I can do all things. That word can mean all, the whole, every kind of. Um, so that kind of have has a very um, a pretty succinct un, uh, understanding of that word. All things, the whole of everything that comes my way, every kind of thing, um, it's all pretty applicable there. And then, of course, through Christ who strengthens me, through, it actually uh, is in or among, so in Christ um, and then, of course, the actually there are the most the the best manuscripts that we have of the Greek um, actually don't include the word Christ, but just it's implied that it we are talking about Christ and it says him and or he instead of Christ. Um, so a lot of times uh, Bible translations will say um, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, and then it'll have like a little footnote saying some manuscripts say Christ, but the the best manuscripts, the most trusted that we have don't actually include the word Christ. Um, and then, of course, um, gives me strength to fill with power or strengthen. So that's pretty. That's a pretty clear-cut uh, translation right there. So basically, if we were to read this just by the definitions of the Greek, it would sound very broken and not really make sense. And so I can attempt to do that. Basically, if we take you know these definitions and read them in a sentence form, something like this. To have strength all... In he to fill with power, strengthen I. So, like you can see why there's sometimes a lot of polishing um, that takes place when we go from something like Greek to English. It just doesn't always translate right off of the page. And so, you have to, um, I mean, this is why translators are the most skilled and, um, you know, brilliant people because they are they know the, the original language so well in the context in which it was written and how people understood things to mean and so uh, we have really great translations um, and so when we take when we look at very very word-for-word -word translations um, of course one of my favorites Young's little uh, Young's literal translation and I have a couple others here as well that I'll put up um, uh, this is how they translate this verse without doing a lot of changing or polishing to make it perfect in English. So Young's literal translation reads, for all things I have strength in Christ's strengthening me. 
Weymouth New Testament translation says, I have strength for anything through him who gives me power. Darby Bible translation, I have strength for all things in him that gives me power. Now we can see here that there's, there's kind of an important um, emphasis on actually using the word strength instead of saying I can do all things, but to say for all things I have strength or I have strength for anything or I have strength for all things. It may seem semantical in a sense, I mean, it literally is semantical, but you may think it's semantical in a sense that it doesn't matter. But how that comes off to an English reader is a lot different than I can do anything. I can do anything or I have strength for anything in Christ who strengthens me or in him who gives me strength. It comes off a little bit differently, especially when you pair that with the context of the passage. Now, um, some other helpful translations as well are actually the NIV and the Berean uh, literal Bible. So the NIV reads, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, I find this to be very interesting because it's clear that the translators looked at the context of what was preceding this verse. They didn't say, I can do all things, anything, anything I want to do, I can do. They made a very distinct um choice in saying, I can do all this, we ask, what's this? It's what preceded that verse when he says, I can be hungry, I can be in poverty, I can be brought low, I can be in need. I can, And then, of course, he also talks about being in abundance and being, uh, you know, wealthy. He knows how to be all of these things. And then it goes right into the NIV, I can do all of this, this that I was just talking about through him who gives me strength. I think that's a very helpful translation because it's it's putting a lot of emphasis on the context of the verse and saying, listen, this, he's not just saying I can do anything that I think of or want to do or decide I'm going to do. That's not what the scripture is saying. It's saying a specific message. And uh, so I think it's a helpful one. Also, the Berean Literal Bible translates it, translates it as, I have strength for all things in the one strengthening me. So... To kind of recap what we've gone over so far, um, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and read this verse one more time. And this is a tr translation, um, Christian Standard Bible and the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Um, these are both translated the same way. It says, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, the reason that I've chosen to go over this verse and why I think it's important it may not seem evident to some why, but I have seen so many people in, in the church, out of the church, use this verse to justify making unwise decisions um, or even selfish decisions because they want to do something. They want to accomplish something, achieve something, attain something, and they don't ask, is it wise? Does this serve God? Does this honor God? Does this glorify God? Is this God's will for my life? No, they just assume that they ought to do whatever they feel or think they ought to do because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the usage of the word I can, even though it talk, that the word can actually talks about ability, but people have the connotation that it means permission. I am permitted to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And maybe people don't have that conscious understanding that that's what their understanding of this verse, 
But when you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you have to be careful what you mean by that. This is not what the verse is overtly saying. It's not giving you permission and affirming uh, your ability to accomplish anything that you want to. This verse and surrounding passage is expressing, first, the profound truth that some hardship, trials, pain, poverty, suffering, affliction, evil, and injustice will accompany us in our life on this earth. Paul was stating it firsthand from prison. And this verse is expressing, secondly, that through Christ, we can be strengthened to endure through the suffering and persevere in our work as believers for God's kingdom and his glory. This verse is not expressing that God will remove our trials or suffering. It is not expressing that we will prevail physically or materially against afflictions and hardships. It's not saying that, no matter how much you want it to say that. This passage is expressing that we must be content in Christ in order to find great joy and peace that surpasses all comprehension amidst the pain and evil we experience. We must truly examine ourselves as believers and ask, in whatever situation I am in, am I content? We must ask ourselves, do I know how to be brought low? Do I know how to face hunger and be in need? Do I know how to do these things in a way that honors and glorifies God? Do I know how to be content and rely on God's strength, not my own, to empower me to endure and persevere in serving and worshiping God with my life? These are the convicting questions we ought to ask when we read this passage. We ought not to take this verse and apply it, apply to it any other meaning. In so doing, we diminish the truth that is being expressed. We ought not to read this verse and conclude that we can accomplish, achieve, or attain anything we set our heart on. Because we can do all things through Christ, right? We ought not to read this verse and conclude that we ought to defeat and that we will triumph over every physical and material hardship and affliction. We don't see that to be true in Scripture whatsoever. Paul, one of the greatest servants of God of all history, lived a broken and beaten and bruised and afflicted life and was unjustly imprisoned and beaten and stoned and killed. Why would we look at that life and say, well, my life is going to be great. My life is not going to have any hardships or trials because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul offered his body 
as a living sacrifice to God, a most pleasing and acceptable service of worship. And Paul was beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, struck with poverty, imprisoned and beheaded. All of these things were given to Paul because of his service to God and because of his desire to glorify God, lower himself, and to do the will of God, not his own. Paul lived his life this way because this is the way Jesus lived his life. Paul died that way because that was how Jesus died. Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. He said that to the Father and went to the cross. And that is exactly how Paul lived his life and died his death. Not my will, but your will. This verse is very simple to understand, very easy to understand if we are to just read Scripture, if we are just to study the Word of God. As believers, we should not be pulling Scripture out of isolation and using it to serve our own desires and our own agenda. I pray and hope for a new generation of believers that would so value and revere and honor the word of God that just like scripture says, they would hide it in their hearts, that they would write it on their foreheads and on their hands, that we would carry it everywhere we go, meditating on it day and night, so to be careful to do all that is written in it. That we would have a full understanding of the full counsel of God, not just these little cherry-picked quips that are really nice to hear and tickle our ears and make us feel happy. Paul knew Jesus. He knew God. And that radically changed how Paul viewed himself, his life, his own suffering, and his death. Yes, we can see from Paul's life and death that he knew Christ. The question I ask you today is do you?